Hi everyone, and thank you for taking the time to listen to our episode today. We are thrilled that you are listening, and if this is the first time you're tuning in, thank you for joining us. Morgan and I are really grateful for the opportunity to bring you these stories of musicians' lives in South Central Pennsylvania. Support for this episode comes from the York Symphony Orchestra. The YSO will be honoring composer Sergei Rachmaninoff's 150th birthday with a concert featuring Cuban-Spanish pianist Lionel Morales on Saturday, April 22, 2023 at the Appel Center in downtown York. Learn more at yorksymphony.org. Maria herself has an upcoming world premiere of her piano concerto as part of the orchestral recital series of Tacoma in June of 2023. And in the 2024 spring semester of Dickinson College's calendar year, she will take part in an artist in residency program on their campus in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. We truly love talking with Maria, and we are sure you will love listening to her share many different aspects of her life between the notes. Welcome everyone to Life Between the Notes, where we are going beyond the bio and bringing you interviews of your favorite South Central Pennsylvania musicians. I am Kirsten Myers, an oboist living in the Lancaster area with my co-host Morgan Davis, a flutist also in the Lancaster area. And Morgan and I are so grateful that all of you are listening in and hope you're enjoying these episodes. Um, if you do have comments or suggestions, please let us know. Uh, you can always email us at lifebetweenthenotes at gmail.com. Um, we started this as a way to document the musical lives of local musicians, and it's been fascinating listening to a wide variety of stories in regard to how they deal with stressors and why they chose music as a profession and all kinds of things. So um, Morgan and I are certainly glad to be here and to have you here. And you can help us out also, um, if you wish, uh, by giving us a five-star review wherever you are listening. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube. So um, regardless of all that, welcome to our 19th episode. Uh, um, and welcome to our uber-talented guest and phenomenal musician, Maria Thompson Corley. So hi, Maria. Hi. <laughs> It is Monday. We're actually recording this on Monday and it's noon, but 
Morgan, I'm sure you have your coffee with you, right? Yes. Always. I also have a water. You know, you hit that point in the day. I said, I've said this before. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I've only had coffee. So to make sure I have mm -hmm. some water too. <laughs> Do you drink coffee, Maria? I used to. Um, I Well, anyway, I, I do on occasion. And I used to have it like almost like an IV drip. So mm -hmm. I've had to way back. So <laughs> Yeah, I actually I didn't start drinking it until I was like maybe 35. And wow. Yeah, like I held out a long time. And now it's just constant. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a placebo by the time I quit. But I, I felt like my heart was kind of racing. I don't know if it was that or some other thing. But I said, Okay, I think I need to get rid of the coffee. So I've had it in small amounts but not regularly like I used to yeah yeah so I definitely yeah, I'm, I'm back like if I have a performance or something like I drink way less than just like on a regular basis because you do get that like extra adrenaline that you don't need yeah yeah exactly <laughs> very jittery yes yeah and like because last night I went to a concert um it was to it was to see Muse and um, it was at the Wells Fargo Center in Philly. And uh, so, <laughs> and and we were actually on the floor. Like we didn't have seats. So we had to stand the whole time. Oh, so, you know, I'm 49 now. And I'm like in physical therapy for something else, you know, for something. And uh, so then I'm like, okay, so now we have to stand. So it started like at 6.30. And then, and like the opening band played for like a half an hour. And then Evanescence came out. They played for an hour. And then Muse played for like two hours. It was for like nine to 11. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, well, these guys are like as old as me. And I, <laughs> so there I am with my, I was wearing a cardigan like everybody does to a rock concert because I don't like getting cold. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and I had my shoes with my arch support. And I'm like, I can do this. So anyway but it was but it was Enjoy just amazing yourself, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah right the but the energy that they had like how I don't know how they can do that because they're just like jumping around everywhere and just all over the place and it's just insane I think, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I think once they all those like rock stars too once they get older they have like trainers and physical therapists that go on tour with them <laughs> yes. you've got somebody that that's can, like, true. your chiropractor's on the bus <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah I needed somebody at my car to like fold me back into because it was hard to sit then okay. after I'd been standing for like four hours <laughs> I can't even imagine standing for four hours it would just like I don't know <laughs> yeah. is there a wall to lean against probably not no, we were in the middle. We were just surrounded by people. It was just like, it was packed in. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would not do that for everybody. Like, you know, for them, yes. But like, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, memories, memories, will last a life. memories will last a life, lifetime, I hope. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Yes, for, for sure. Yeah. So, which is also why I need my coffee today. And we're not here to talk about my concert experiences, but... I would like to officially introduce all of you to Maria. Maria Thompson Corley was born in Jamaica and raised in Canada. 
She has appeared as a solo and collaborative pianist on radio, television, and or concert stages in North and Central America, the Caribbean, Bermuda, and Europe, performing with artists like Metropolitan Opera soprano Priscilla Baskerville, Juno award-winning clarinetist James Campbell, Grammy-winning clarinetist Doris Hall Dulati, Grammy-nominated baritone Randall Scarlatta, renowned countertenor Daryl Taylor, and members of the New York Philharmonic and Philadelphia Orchestras. Venues include the Smithsonian Museum of African American History, the List Academy, Wheel Hall, and the Epidaurus Festival in Kavtat, Croatia. Her performances as soloists with orchestra include engagements with the Tallahassee Symphony Orchestra under the baton of Gunther Schuller. She has also performed and recorded with the Philadelphia-based Black Pearl Chamber Orchestra, directed by Jerry Lynn Johnson. Dr. Corley is also a, a composer and arranger, and her choral and solo vocal literature is published by Walton, Note Nova, Classical Vocal Reprints, and North Star. Her song cycle, Grasping Water, has been added to the curricula of courses about art song at University of Michigan, Jack Dawes Music Education, Trust in the UK, and University of California, Irvine. Her art song, Big Yellow Taxi, was featured on the Ham Songs Foundation website in 2020, a few weeks after she participated in a live stream panel discussion that included Thomas Hampson, Louise Toppin, Bill Banfield, and Mark Clegg. Her debut mini opera, The Sky Where You Are, commissioned by an opera theater in 2020, is part of the Decameron Opera Coalition's award-winning online production, Tales from a Safe Distance. The entire series was added to the Library of Congress in 2021. She was commissioned by Lyric Opera of the North to write The, pl the Place for the DOC's second online anthology. Heroes, which premiered in October 2021, Two of her spirituals have been choreographed by Caitlin Addison, a prima ballerina with Ballet West. The Canadian Art Song Project has also commissioned her to write The Color of Joy for soprano Janelle Sills, a song cycle that premiered in 2022. Maria was also the co-recipient of a 2021 Opera America Idea Grant, along with librettist Diana Solomon Glover for The Boy from Troy, an opera about Representative John Lewis. Her song, Welcome to Guntown, with poetry by Addie Rose Brown, was the winner of the live portion of the 2023 New York City Song Slam. Her first CD, Dreamer, released internationally on Naxos, contains collaborations with then-tenor Daryl Taylor. Subsequent discs on Albany include a recording of the first 12 of African-American composer Leslie Adams' etudes for solo piano, seven of which she world premiered, and Soulscapes, consisting of music for solo piano by African-American women. Maria's recordings of selections from Valerie Caper's Portraits and Jazz, included in Soulscapes, were featured in the HBO family documentary, Cabria's Salad Days. Her performance of Leslie Adams' Etude in C-sharp minor is included in Timothy Greenfield Sanders' documentary, Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am. She was featured twice in the 2020 African Composers London Virtual Concert Series, once as a solo performer and once as a pianist writer. 
Soul Sanctuary, a disc of her arrangements of spirituals and hymns with Maria Clark, soprano, and Ishmael Akbar, cello, was released by Navona Records in February 2022. Her recording, Soulscapes 2, on MSR Classics, was released in November 2021. WRTI's John T.K. Skirk, Skirk? Is it Skirk? I don't know. I've only ever seen it. I've never heard it said. <laughs> Well, John from WTRI included it on his list of 12 don't miss classical releases for 2022. Dr. Corley's undergraduate work was completed at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. She received both master's and doctorate degrees in piano performance from the Juilliard School. She was the only pianist admitted into Juilliard's doctoral program for the period of two years and she was chosen to represent her alma mater in a tour of Central America where she gave performances and master classes. Aside from being an accomplished pianist, Maria is a voice actor, an award-winning poet, and an author who has contributed to Broad Street Review and blogged for Huffington Post. Her novels include Choices, Letting Go, and More Than Enough. Maria is also part of duo Kiroskiro with Sarah Mayle on cello. Their endeavors include silence optional concerts for people on the autism spectrum or others who cannot attend classical concerts because of difficulties with remaining absolutely still. So, wow, Maria, I, I think I told everybody everything and we can probably end the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, okay. <laughs> Just, Amazing. You are incredibly creative and uh, this is just, it's amazing, your body of work. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sort of given to trying things. I think, you know, just um, I get an idea of something that um, interests me and then I'll try to do it. And then, you know, I have a tendency to try to see if, if anybody else wants to experience it in some way. So, um, you know, like as far as writing a book, I always like to write. And, um, you know, I I mean, I guess it was in my very early twenties and I said, you know, some of the things I read, I bet I can write something as good as some of the things I'm reading, <laughs> which is an arrogant statement. But um, anyway, it was just sort of like, or confident or whatever. Um, so that was how the first book came about was, um, yeah, just getting some positive feedback. Um, later on, the second one was, um, I discovered it's really a lot harder, or maybe it's a lot harder that far away from like, the first one was 1996. And then I just went on and did my thing. Um, because I didn't, um, it was published as a romance novel. And that wasn't my original intention, you know, but I said, okay, whatever. So um, then I had an agent and she said, you know, more of the same because the next thing that I wrote was uh, not fitting the genre and the genre had very specific rules back then. Like you couldn't have a gay character unless they weren't in a relationship. You couldn't um, have multiple, like it had to be one female protagonist and one male protagonist and stuff like that. And so I'd written this book and I was like, well, I don't care that much about being an author anyway. I'm more of a musician. So I just said, well, okay, I guess I just won't because I'm not willing to do major surgery and I have other things to do anyway. Yeah. Um, but but that was that. Was that. So I, I guess I, I just like telling stories in whatever way, whether it's composing or um, using, you know, somebody else's music and trying to 
create an abstract story as I'm performing it, you know, something that has to me some sort of um, narrative arc or, you know, uh, is a journey, I guess. So yeah, and the voice acting was just like a whim thing in that um, I saw a little blurb in the newspaper about people being able to try that. And um, there was this guy that I had been talking to um, long distance and, um, you know, I, at that point we weren't really in communication, but I had called him to say happy birthday. And he, you know, it was like, oh, you know, made some comment about how I had a sweet voice, which I'd never given any thought to at all. So um, when I saw this blurb, it was like some free thing, which I knew they were going to try to sell me a course, but whatever. Um, I just, I don't know. It's, it's like when in uh, reading to my kids, when they were really small, again, it's like making the story more interesting by adding, you know, I'm probably really lousy accents, but, you know, just doing things to make it more lively. Um, so yeah, I ended up taking the course, which is over the phone. And then it took two or three years almost for anybody to respond and ask me to do anything. Like I'd given it to some people that I'd learned about who did this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd given up on the whole idea, but I, you know, it's, it's like a random, like I had one, a, a gig last week, but they're very random and I'm not overly pursuing them. It's just kind of, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. I mean, the things that I end up reading are not anything like they're not commercials. It's more like a training video when I have to sound excited about um, World Wars One with a math course. It was algebra. <laughs> and I had to sound really like upbeat about algebra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, algebra. Wow. <laughs> That's a challenge. I, yeah, <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> Anyway. I, yeah, I don't know how you do that. But... <laughs> it's acting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, well, I so along all of those lines, like, do, do you work with an agent for all of those kinds of things? Are you actually doing all of that groundwork yourself? Yeah, no agent for anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I briefly had an agent as a pianist, but, um, you know, most of the things, because at that point, I had kids and, you know, I have one kid who's a special needs and I got divorced. And so it, the options as far as like, okay, we want you to do this or meet this person. And it was not in Lancaster, like, come, can you come to New York for such and such? And no, <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah, right. So, um, and, you know, this person had reached out to me and, you know, heard me play and said he wanted to represent me. And I said, okay, I'll give it a try. He wasn't asking for a retainer. Um, so, you know, could explain my situation. We're still friends. Anyway, um, no, and the voice acting was, I just, I got these CDs, which shows you how long ago I was starting to do this to represent myself. And I mailed CDs. Yeah. And it took several years for, for um, someone to get in touch with me. And then, you know, I'm on his roster and every once in a while someone asks for my voice. Mm -hmm. And um, it's always at the very last minute, but- um, Of course bad way to spend about an hour you know yeah it's not yeah so everything has been really strangely um seems like the less I'm trying the more things work for me you know mm -hmm. so um, yeah I mean I post on YouTube and Facebook and things like that and uh, I suppose I have a website so people can find me that way but otherwise than that um yeah, there's nobody beating the bushes. I mean, I'll occasionally submit something for, you know, something comes up like with a compositional um, 
call for scores or something, but mm -hmm. I don't even do that very much anymore. I'm kind of already spreading myself thin enough without doing that. So yeah, which is easy to do. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and I think that's how I guess a lot of of people um do it as freelance artists. I mean, you just keep putting stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And all they can do is hope that, you know, people are seeing it, you know, yeah, and they're at and that they'll ask you, you know, but yeah, it's been, it's been, I mean, this one thing I think they do a lot better in, in schools now, um, because when I was at Juilliard way, way, way back, like the beginning of the nineties, um, we had a business of music course, but it wasn't really overly helpful. It wasn't hands-on. It was just someone would come and talk a little bit and, um, you know, whereas now, from what I understand, or far more recently, they make you do a concert and do the promotion, you know, find the venue, like actually do yeah. the thing that you need to do to promote yourself. And I think if I had known how much of um, trying to be in this freelance music thing was marketing, you know, I mean, so much of it is marketing and you have to, and I'm not a natural salesperson, except for my kids. But I mean, like for myself, you know, that whole idea of trying to sell myself is just was foreign. But then it's like, okay, well, I need to survive. And um, this is what I wanted to do. So yeah. I better love it. Yeah. <laughs> when I get a cubicle job, I guess I better, you know, get with it. So and I think, well, and that's something I think that like we all struggle with too, because you kind of have to, you just have to go out there and promote yourself. And then you're like, okay, well, then there's, you know, borderline of like being arrogant about it or, you know, or is it too much, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know, like, I mean, I, I'm just a person who like worries about what other people are thinking. Mm -hmm. And, and that's always like, but I've kind of like myself got, had to get to the point of just like, I don't let that go, you know, and you just yeah. have to. Like, who cares? I mean, at this point, I mean, yeah, it, it took me a while to get to that point of just like, okay, well, you know, if you don't like it, then I guess you can ignore me, <laughs> you know, yes. people find ways to do that. Yes. You know? I mean, are you sit over there and you're annoyed and, and I'm just posting what I'm doing and, you know, I'm trying to make some sort of um, connection with whoever wants to be connected with me for the purpose of survival. <laughs> And that's so, just, it's part of the thing. It's part of the profession, right? So absolutely, yeah. I have to think too that like all of the things you were doing with the voiceovers or writing or you know it all kind mm -hmm. of um, helps. We learn how to talk to people and feel comfortable um, presenting mm -hmm. ourselves, and um, you know mm -hmm. just being creative, being comfort comfortable in our creativity um, helps mm -hmm. like what your primary um, craft mm -hmm. is. Being able to write is a very, yeah, it's a very important skill and being able to write in a way that is appealing to hopefully more people, you know, being able to make it, you know, either slightly entertaining or interesting. I mean, yeah, it's, it's great that you don't have to try to get somebody else to, you know, if you have a blurb or something, you know, you can, you can do that yourself. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, I'm inherently a sh introverted person. i know so many people say you know I'm really tend towards introversion and you're thinking what but um you know that's my default setting I mean if I'm going to have to talk a lot then I'm going to have to have some time when I don't have to talk and <laughs> I can just be in my own head and do whatever so um but the you know 
being aware of how you modulate or use your voice, not like I'm constantly acting, but it is a good thing to know. You know, it is a good thing to know. Absolutely. So, um, so starting actually from the beginning, now you were born in Jamaica and, um, and it was pretty soon after that, that your family moved to Canada. Is that correct? Right. I was about to. Okay. So, yeah. And then how long did you live in Canada? I lived in Canada until I was about 20. And so all my formative years were in Canada. And then, and that was when I, you know, moved to um, New York for um, my master's. And then I, or no, I think I was 21. I took a gap year, um, an, an unintentional gap year in that I auditioned twice for Juilliard the first time I didn't get in. Um, and, you know, since then I've lived in the States. So I've lived in the States most of my life, actually. Right. But, you know, where you spent your formative years makes a difference. And interestingly, the times I've been back to Jamaica, there's a sort of a, I don't know, it's a weird sense of being at home, even though I didn't actually live there. And I'm sure if I lived there, you know, I mean, you can get an idealized view of, of places like just, ah, oh, you know, it's not so much that I'm planning to move there. I don't like really super hot weather, but um, yeah, it's sort of a, a connection to some deep root that you have. Um, so I, but if you were going to talk about years of my life, I mean, far more at this point have been spent in the United States. So, yeah. So was Juilliard the only school that you wanted to go to since? Well, this is an insane, stupid thing was that my teacher for like from the time I was eight through my undergraduate went to Juilliard and she was sort of like, well, you must go to Juilliard. She didn't give me any advice about while you're in New York, you should audition at Manus in Manhattan because some of the teachers teach in the same, you know, there are various places you can get the same teacher. She didn't um, have try to arrange for me to have a sample lesson with anybody. She just picked somebody and told me, well, this is a person you should audition for. And I was naive enough that, you know, I'm just following along with, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. So, and I didn't know the odds against getting into Juilliard. It was just sort of, I had this idea that she went to Juilliard and she thinks that I should go to Juilliard. So I guess I'm going to Juilliard, you know? And so when I didn't get in, it was like, oh, and, well, you know? So then I, I I moved to Toronto for a year, which was great. Actually, I was burnt out from school. Like I took school very seriously. And um, I think it was actually good to have a gap year. As it turned out, I, I took lessons with my, uh, Mr. Shondor was the teacher that she had picked out for me, George Shondor. And so um, he was willing to teach me like I got a Canada Council grant that allowed me to travel every other week to New York and take lessons with him and uh so my second audition you know I got in for the master's and then um for the doctoral one he was out of town you know so it was just me and these other unsmiling people as one does at a Juilliard audition and then I walked into the room. And I said, oh, we're going to be videotaping today. You know, they didn't, I didn't know it was going to be videotaped. So ordinarily that would have freaked me out. But I was in this mode of like, I don't know that I want to write a dissertation. I mean, I never aspired to do much research about stuff, you know, so I don't know. Well, if I get in, I'll get in. If I don't get in, I wasn't meant to get in. So I was just totally relaxed. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just like, whatever, man, you know. <laughs> And I mean, and really prepared, you know, really prepared. I'd practiced a lot, but he wasn't there. So there wasn't that friendly face. Um, and I, I don't know, I was just in a zone. 
-hmm. So um, yeah, that was one of those things. I was just like, well, this is the absolute best I can play. If they don't let me in, I should, you know, I was, I was really feeling like I can't do better than that. You know, that was good. And I'm, you know, tend to be rather self-critical, like really self-critical as manifests are, <laughs> you know, it's the uh, personality profile, I guess. Um, anyway, but yeah, it was only, Juilliard is the only place I ever auditioned yeah. ever. And even that, you know, for, if I was considering doing a doctorate, I should have had a backstop, you know, this whole, well, all or nothing was just insane. Yeah. It was insane. Like who was advising me? No one was advising me. Right. And, anyway. and, but in a way it's kind of good that like, that was like what you were going to do because I mean, I don't, well, I don't know what I was going to, I mean, again, I said, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, if it's not, it's not, but I don't know if I hadn't gotten in, what would, I guess I would have figured out what my next step was. Obviously, I guess I, maybe I would have done more. Uh, maybe I would still be in New York. Maybe I would have been gigging more in New York and not doing so much. Um, I mean, I did enough gigging in New York, but anyway, yeah. it is what it is. That's what happened. So yeah. <laughs> it is. So kind of when do you, so go ahead. Oh no, it's just, it's kind of crazy to look back and think about like what, what our perceptions of what we had to do were, um, you know, and how your teachers um, kind of projected what your path was uh, or should be. Um, and I feel like we all have versions of that. And even if you had a really um, perceptive teacher, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. we just have the, you don't know that much yet as a student. So it's like, you get these right. ideas uh, and I have to do this and I should do this thing. And yeah, because I mean, that's the teacher as guru, you know, and then at that point, you know, it wasn't like people would just look stuff up on the online or, you know, I mean, you could get so much more information now. I mean, obviously we're bombarded with more information than we could ever use, but um, yeah, it, it was just, um, I don't know if I hadn't gotten in on the second try, I don't know what would I have done. I might, I might've stayed in Toronto. Toronto is a great city. I don't know. Yeah. Just, <laughs> It doesn't matter, I guess. Right. I, <laughs> I am where I am. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> so when did you start playing piano? How young were you? I was four, and I wanted to play from the time I was two. Apparently, my, my older brother was taking lessons from my mom, who was the first teacher, because my, um, well, she wasn't my first teacher because my grandmother went to the New England Conservatory, but my grandmother um, studied piano at the New England Conservatory, and she graduated in 1930. And that was not a common thing for black women. Um, and she was from Bermuda. And so she went back to Bermuda and that's where um, my mom is from. And so um, my, uh, it was just a thing like, okay, all of my kids are gonna start with me. And then we all went on you know, afterwards to other teachers. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I was asking apparently from the time I was two, I wanted to play. And um, then, you know, I had to wait till I was four. Sure. So did you like to practice? No, not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I like to play. I like to play yeah. cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had teachers who pushed me so that I was doing sometimes stuff that I had no business playing at the age that I was at, you know. Um, but I, I did what I felt was necessary. And then I think when I was about 14, I got really, really serious about not just, um, you know, a doing some of it that came easily and then kind of faking some of the rest and um you know became very particular about it so I'm not I'm still not saying I liked practicing I more just did it 
it was a means to an end. It's like, well, I, I won't be able to play this unless I practice and practice in a certain way. And, um, you know, I wanted to spend as little time as possible, which means being efficient. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got way more efficient when I had kids, but, you know, um, a certain level of efficiency. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I will say that over the course of time, though, um, it's not so much that I think, oh, this is the favorite thing I can do with my time. Let me go practice. But I also, um, it's a very creative thing, you know, the problem solving that goes into it. And um, if you are in a position where you're challenging yourself to play things that are difficult and um, just, I don't know, there's a real sense of satisfaction about solving the riddle of a really difficult passage. And, um, you know, yeah, this the ongoing need to, um, you know, the focus that's required. And I don't know, I, I feel like if I've made a lot of progress with something that it, there's a deep, yeah, there's a deep level of satisfaction about being able to hopefully uh, bring a piece to the level that you have in your mind as to, you know, how you want to play it. When you say efficiency and practicing, like, what does that look like for you? like how do you make that happen I mean when I repeat things I'm not just you know I have to have a specific goal in mind about what I'm repeating and that didn't work and then you analyze immediately or try to analyze what exactly it was that you were doing that wasn't quite right you know reach into your toolkit is it my hand position or my arm position or do I need to change the fingering or you know do I need to maybe I'm rushing something I mean I need to think of taking a breath or, um, you know, I just need to break it down with one of those like rhythms or things like that, you know, and um, just being very aware of yeah. what my fingers are doing, like, you know, all these sorts of things that um, you can use to try to fix something. Um, it's, so, like, it's like mindful practicing, really, like paying attention and not just mind numbingly going through you know, playing. Yeah, doing it a number of times is, you know, I mean, fine. I mean, it's impossible to focus intensely, I think, for three hours at a time. But, you know, which is why it's good to take a break now and then. But, you know, it's just like the whole idea of I have limited time and I want to make as much progress as possible. So that's highly motivating when you don't have a lot of free time. It's like, okay, well, I, you know, yeah, I need to get through these things and I don't want to just play through them. They sound like the same as they did when I started. Right. So even if it's just, I only have time to work on, you know, I play through it. And then the part where I have a slight hiccup that I'll work on that even, you know, do it four times correctly, just this little micro passage mm -hmm. if other things are going well, but yeah, you have to zero in and not just let things go basically. Right. So when, how old were you when you decided that you wanted to go into music? I mean, was it around the time you were 14 or was it later? Earlier. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I don't know how old I was. I told my mother um, that I wanted to be a concert pianist and I think I, maybe I was six. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was really, that's what I really wanted to do. Now, as I got older, um, it was probably, well... I had, I mentioned to you, I had this accident when I was, but I was, at that point I was committed, I was in college. Um, and so I slid off a road and I hit a pole and I had a major concussion. Well, not, a, I don't know if it's a major concussion. I was in the hospital and I, you know, 
couldn't remember stuff. I was aware that I, after a while, a couple of days, I was aware that I wasn't remembering what people were telling me, but I, you know, it was like, okay, I know you asked that question. I don't remember how I answered it or, um, or just that whole thing of, you know, like in apparently, you know, saying things kind of on a loop and just not remembering that you did that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was when I, I had an unshakable faith in my memory that, that lost because, you know, I would have little tiny memory lapses and stuff. And, um, that had never happened to me before. So that was when I was about 17. And I, um, so, um, like I didn't really have a lot of performance anxiety before that, <laughs> but that did build it in, but I kept doing it and, you know, performing from memory. Now I've freed myself from performing from memory, um, because, you know, I'm 57. I'm like, what the heck, man? This is, I don't need this stress. There's a, there's an iPad and there's a foot pedal. I'm using them, Yeah. you know? And if, you know, if the people who would come up after a performance say, wow, how did you remember all those notes? And I'm thinking, well, I'm hoping that the performance spoke to you in a level more than just, <laughs> yeah. but then wood, speaking of woodwinds, a lot of wooden players don't memorize. And I'm thinking, you know, it's all Franz list. <laughs> um, no, seriously. I mean, all that, stuff you know I mean on one level I did sometimes feel that um the internalization of a piece you do have to have it really really internalized if you're going to play it from memory and um you know I would close my eyes a lot to sort of focus on what I was doing like really intensely hearing it but then I you know said that um, the, when I'm collaborating with someone, I'm also, I mean, obviously you have to be aware of your collaborator, which you don't have to do when you're playing by yourself, but, um, you know, I'm also intently focused on what I'm trying to say musically when I'm collaborating with someone. So I had to give myself permission to do it, you know, and this was just like during the pandemic was when I started using a, an, an iPad. Cause I didn't think that that was something that would work in the sense of, well, what if I hit my foot twice in the pedal and turn two pages and how do I, but I was asked by LSO to do, um, it was a Poulenc sextet mm -hmm. and um, it was like, okay, I would definitely have needed a page turner, but we weren't supposed to have people close to us. So I was like, okay, well, I could use money for this gig. <laughs> there aren't a lot of gigs going around right now. So um, that was when I did the learning curve of learning to use the pedal and um yeah, ever since I've become more comfortable. I mean, it's not like I've never had a slight mishap, but yeah. I've had a slight mishap with live page turners too. So right. you know, things happen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but um, it was back back in those days though. I mean, I, I still thought I, I wanted to be a performer. It was just um, a little bit scarier, but yeah, I was still committed to the idea. It seems like, you know, working on something to that level and, you know, I, my love of music and um I guess I don't know if I was just trained that you should then share it with somebody other than yourself like you know the whole idea well I've practiced this and I play it to a level that I enjoy and I'm the only person who's going to hear it me and maybe my neighbors if I have neighbors but you know um that was what I was trained to do is like you learn it to a certain point and then you put it out there into the world and hopefully communicate with somebody else so I wasn't quite willing to do that. I, I did decide that I was going to only do um, uh, collaborative performances and I would play a piece or two um, still from memory solo. But then 
I got to a certain point where I was like, you know, I just really miss doing a solo piano recital. I, it was a, just a random thing. I, I have a church job and there's a grand piano down below when I was sitting at the organ. I was thinking, oh, I miss playing some of those things, you know, I just kind of miss it. So since I had an easy venue, being the, the church musician, I could just play there whenever I wanted to. And that was um, the first solo recital I'd done in a while. And, you know, I brought the audience into it in the sense of saying, I think it was the same day that um, Walenda, Nick Walenda was walking across a Grand Canyon or something on a tightrope. So, you know, I said, um, honestly, um, playing from memory sometimes feels to me like being on a tightrope, but having um, him as a, uh, a model in the sense that if, if I make a mistake, I've realized that I'm not going to die. So we'll see how this goes. Um, that was actually a, a book release um, recital because I'd written this loosely autobiographical novel, which was Letting Go. And there were a number of pieces referenced mm. um, book. And so I, I put them together into a concert and then, you know, had books you know like to and did little okay, reading yeah. and stuff like that so yeah that was kind of how that all come to, came together but um wow. I've never wanted not to be able to play at a certain level you know like at the moment uh even though since I've been doing more composing dividing my time becomes more and more challenging as to what I do while I'm alert because these are both things that require a certain level of alertness. Um, so that's something that I'm just negotiating, trying to figure out. I don't know if anyone ever figures out everything anyway, but um, I don't want to let one be so much above the other that, I mean, what's more the composing be so much more than the being able to play that I feel like I can't do certain things if I really am called on to do them. Right. So that's right. an interesting yeah. I think so, that's a really sorry, Kirsten. Um, like just fascinating thing about right now for musicians, because so many of us are um wanting to explore other things where we have talent for or like other facets of what we do, but then balancing mm -hmm. our skill levels, um, because we can't do everything and we might have multiple things we're good at, you know. So um, and I think because we're so driven to be so good at maybe like the performance piece of playing, um, it can be really hard to reconcile all those interests and skills. Mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. like you said, it's just um, maybe we don't always, you know, figure all of those things out. But I think it's more acceptable, permissible now for us to have all these different things that we do. Um, but then yeah. how does it work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think not all at once is the thing. So, you know, I mean, maybe I'll write another novel. I don't really, you know, I don't know how I wrote the other ones, honestly. <laughs> I don't know where the time came from. I guess I just needed less sleep or something. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, if you talk about juggling, I mean, one ball's in the air while, you know, I'm not a juggler, but, you know, I mean, there's some contact with your hands and the other things are just in the air. So, um, yeah, some sometimes I'm more intensely focused on one than the other. I mean, as far as composing, I don't compose every day. 
um, you know, I'll have a project and then it starts to take over and then I'm staying up too late and stuff like that. And then, you know, trying to reassess edit at some point when I'm a little bit more alert. So there are things that I can do, you know, it's like sort of the, okay, well, today I'm practicing a little bit less alert than I would be <laughs> ordinarily or hopefully, or, you know, okay, deadlines Im impending with the concert. So yeah, that's definitely right here where my prime time for my brain. And then, you know, I'll just see what I can, you know, do with this little with the composition thing. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's right. You know, I mean, can you have it all maybe, but not all at the same time. I, I mean, I'm sure that's been said by several people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you are the, um, you mentioned your church job, which is at St. Thomas Episcopal, correct? Correct. And, mm -hmm. and you're the choir director there. Are you the music director as well? or? Yeah, which is really helpful because then, you know, obviously I know when I have certain things that I don't want to over commit to uh, some difficult choral. Well, we don't have a big choir, so we don't do a lot of difficult choral stuff, but, you know, I'm, I'm able to sort of, okay, well, this will be an easier Sunday for me because there's other stuff going on. So how yeah. long have you been there? Oh, forever. I I mean, my kids are, it's been 20 years. It's a long, it's been like when I think about the passage of time, you know, yeah, it's got to, it's got to be about something like in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. and but, you know, we've been very supportive and um, yeah, I've been very grateful for it. It's like a, a, a support system and a family sort of um, atmosphere. So yeah, I, I feel plugged into that congregation on more than just a job level. So it's great. Yeah, that is great. And it, and like, as far as a musician, like, I mean, it's, it's a regular job, like as far as like <laughs> as, yes. a paycheck as well, not that it is just that, but um, yeah, no, no, that's made a huge difference. I mean, I was in academia for a while, uh, like straight out of college, I was at Florida A&M University. And then, um, you know, my uh, first child, I was still at Florida A&M. And then my ex uh, was finishing up at Florida State. And so when he got the job at Millersville, my son was um, just born, basically, he was four months old when we moved up here. Okay. So, um, you know, but that was my regular job was being in academia. Mm -hmm. and I've never been you know, a full-time professor since, but the, the, um, having the agency to end that marriage would not have happened if I hadn't had the church job, I don't think. I mean, you know, it's, it's been easy always financially, but, um, that has always been my, my, uh, foundation yeah. on, on, to build the freelance stuff. So, right. And I was going to mention too, yes, I mean, like as a single mom, for sure, like that you you need um, some sort of like consistent um, income on which you can build like everything else too. And as a musician, that is difficult. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to stay a musician, I mean, I guess exactly. right. it, it bound and ship and, you know, you got to do what you got to do to survive. So I'm grateful that I never had to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of musicians um, go down the road of teaching, but that was never for you or? I've always taught. I've always had students, um, but not 
you know, like some people teach like 30 hours a week or something. I've never taught that much. Um, maybe partially because I had the other things that, you know, like with the church job, um, it was hard enough. Like, you know, my son is on the autism spectrum and, um, you know, with him and my daughter as well. And a lot of times I was blessed to be in a family where we expected to have extracurricular activities. And, you know, so I, it was just sort of an assumption for me that they should have access to le lessons. And a lot of times I was the one taking them here and there. And so um, I, when I, I don't even know how I was able to schedule some of these things. I mean, I had some people who would sometimes take somebody somewhere and or pick them up or you know I mean so it's not like I was doing everything myself but right um, yeah but I mean it it is definitely a challenge and I, I often wonder if I didn't have as flexible a schedule as I had like if I'd gone to a nine-to-five job and saying well I really need to just get a nine-to-five job like you know my son would sometimes have a seizure and I'd have to go pick him up at school and okay I could you know my I could move things around typically more easily than I would think someone who, you know, I've got to leave the office for, I don't know. I, I don't know how people navigate that. I guess they do, but um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely tricky. <laughs> yeah. So Kiana is your, is your oldest. Yes. And so now she is a musician as well. Yes. <laughs> yes she I said you know it's like falling in love and that's what I will tell anybody it's like you're that passionate and you have to find out where it will lead I mean I can't say that your heart won't get broken but you know maybe it won't and you know you'll find out you'll you have to find out mm -hmm. but yes yes and uh, when she was first talking about wanting to be a musician I tried to suggest maybe getting a music therapy degree because then you still have to study music and then you have this other thing and yeah she really didn't want to do that and you know it's not my life so it's like okay we're going all in so she 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 majored in the marketing aspect though at, at Millersville and I'm so grateful that the program there the commercial music program has like there were so many super talented kids and good instruction and you know she really did learn a lot and gained from uh, some friends for life and all that stuff because the other places she wanted to go were not in the cards at all. Like, unless she had gotten some sort of full scholarship to NYU or Berkeley. I mean, that was, you know, so in the end, um, you know, she said several times that she really feels like, you know, the kids that she was working with there and everything was just a really good quality situation. But yes, yeah, so now she's in LA as of almost going out a year in LA. In fact, she has a show tomorrow at, I don't know what the venues are, but apparently she was very happy about this particular one because you have to have, a certain number of streams and a certain number of followers to get booked for this particular thing. Oh, good. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I mean, she's doing the barely getting by thing that one does in a really expensive city when you're, you know, and several jobs and, you know, I mean, she's teaching some voice and, um, yeah. doing things like meeting with people, writing songs and hoping that something hits, you know, so anyway, she likes to be there and she's doing her thing and that's what you got to do, you know, so. I, I actually, I sent some of her music to my daughter who is 19 
and uh-huh. um because I was listening and I was like oh you know what Olivia's gonna love this <laughs> oh <really? laughs> so I her and she's like I really like that I really like that so awesome okay yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, your daughter's name is Kiana Kiana Corley so yeah. if anybody wants to like look her um music up yeah. on YouTube right or I imagine Spotify and yeah, yeah, all those things. And then she has an Instagram, which is Kiana Corley Music. So okay. yeah, it's definitely a shameless plug for my daughter. <laughs> yes, why not? No, I mean, it's great. No, I want, I mean, she has like videos um, that she's made too. And so, yeah, she's doing her thing as best she can on yeah. a, a shoestring budget. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and as a mom too, I mean, it's just, it's really challenging. I mean, first of all, to have her so far away. Yes, very much. And then, um, cause yeah, well, and in fact, like you described this actually, it was on your Facebook post about having her heart go on a plane and then yeah, <laughs> she had been visiting and then she goes and then, yeah. uh, but then also because it's, you know, a, a music career, which you are, you know so well and know how challenging that is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Los Angeles is, is a, has been a place that she she likes the California vibe. I was sort of hoping she might end up. I mean, New York's really yeah. expensive too. I mean, yeah. she has friends in Philly, but she really wanted to be in California. And um, I want to be in California. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know that I've ever really wanted to live in California. I yeah. About the fires and the you know all the like every biblical plague <laughs> pestilence no no but yeah. it's like the fires the mudslides the earthquakes but sure. I mean honestly I think most people you know don't experience that stuff on a regular basis and she certainly hasn't living in LA and not in the hills in some palatial estate so yeah um, yeah but she's so far so good she's enjoying it and she's getting by so that's good yeah I know is, is there any advice that you have given her in regard to the career or well I just told her that you know you have to do it you know you have to realize that becoming you know you can't do it because you want to be famous that's a very tricky thing and it's not something that people can manage so if it's like if you are in love with it again you will find out if that love is enough to keep you you know if you continue to be in love with it if you you know find you're indifferent hopefully you don't hate it but you know and the business aspect I think they did prepare them for the fact that there's music and the music business and the music business that aspect I mean the classical music business is hard enough popular music business I think is even worse if you're a young woman um you know still even after me too you know there are a lot of creepy guys out there and um, some of them have power so you know it's just like there are a lot of things going into it the other thing I would say is don't define yourself, your self-worth by whether or not you feel like you're popular, famous. There's so many people who are extremely talented and they may never get that big break. And it doesn't mean that they're not talented or, you know, and, but even, you know, the, the degree of talent that you have shouldn't define your self-worth either. So just, you know, this whole idea and it's, it's difficult in that, you know, particularly in popular music. I mean, there are some people who don't look like the so-called uh, stereotypical what you think someone should look like to be a star, which is a model. And, you know, my daughter is very attractive. 
but there are a whole lot of pretty girls out there too. And so in LA, she said, you know, is a really superficial place where she said, you know, she was told when she got there, well, you should never have to buy a drink. Like, and she said, sure enough, she's never had to buy a drink. But I mean, it's like, there's a whole, um, there's a whole thing of defining yourself also by that. Yeah. That is a trap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's a hard trap not to fall into, especially in a place like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just trying to make sure that the, your focus, it may seem like a stereotypical or cliche or whatever kind of thing to say, but, you know, I mean, yes, you know that you have to dress for success or whatever that is, define these image things you know this is the business that you're in she's more interested I think in songwriting but she also likes to play you know to play the songs live and stuff but um just be careful what you define what makes you a worthy person because it's just such a superficial and um yeah tenuous yeah yeah just being able to stay grounded I guess. And I imagine too, that the longer you're in a place like that, the harder that that would be to mm-hmm. remain grounded because you get so used to that atmosphere. And mm-hmm. <laughs> she's made some really good friends. She had one friend who had moved out there who she knew from Millersville. Okay. And, and then she has made some like really high quality, it sounds like friends. Good. Uh, and, um, I have some people out there who, you know, um, if she needs someone of a, an older generation to fall back on, there are a few of those too. So I didn't feel quite as concerned. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Awesome. I think it's like just really good advice generally, you know, that it, things can be very superficial and it can be easy even in classical music to feel like if you don't have a certain kind of break or um, you don't gain a certain amount of recognition or popularity that you are not talented or you're not doing something worthwhile or, um, you know, and I think especially now with social media and like when you watch how many students create like practice accounts on Instagram and then they gain all these followers while they're in college with their practice account or, um, you know, you can start to, to sort of judge yourself in funny ways. Um, yeah, and miss some of the the value of like what we do, you know, that if you were in, in, in you, like you said, there are so many people who are so incredibly talented and you can forget that there can be these just pockets of, of the world that exist where you make an impact, you know, and it doesn't mean that it's less of an impact than if you have somehow gained all this online notoriety. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But, but I mean, if you go into, I don't know if you guys went into like the music festival system in Canada, we'd have the annual music festivals and, you know, competitions. And so, I mean, you know, that you're being judged from like your little kid and you're getting judged. And um, obviously, I mean, as far as having some sort of standards to aspire to um, it's impossible to do something like this without having some idea of what the standard is and the standard means that you are trying to be at this level which means if you're not at that level you know there's a judgment that goes into now how do you feel about that do you feel like oh I'm not good enough or do you feel like okay well I need to work harder on this if I want to get to this you know and um the the mindset piece is is a very very important and not always easily absorbed 
thing, you know, just how do you feel about, I mean, especially when you're young, I mean, there's so many ways that you're trying to decide if you're okay. I mean, I'm, you know, so many different things. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, I mean, I, I don't know. I know this world. I'm sure that in the other, you know, if I'm an accountant, maybe in my office, there's somebody who is getting the really big accounts and then I'm judging myself, mm. you know, so they're different. Everybody has this in some way, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then your son, Malcolm, mm -hmm. and, yes. um, and now how old is he now? He is 23. He'll, both my kids will uh, turn one, well, not one year older, but you know, their birthdays are both at the end of April. So he's oh. almost 20. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. And he, um, he's an artist. He is. That's some of his art. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's his sister. He painted his, his sister. sister. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about like some of the, the challenges um, because um, he is uh, on the autism spectrum and like you and I like very long ago, like <laughs> had a discussion about this too, because yeah. Yeah. my oldest son is as well. And so mm -hmm. There are definitely, um, yeah, challenges that come with that. Um, and how has being a parent to him uh, changed you and, and um, affected, well, your career? And like, personally, it's all kind of intertwined. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, every time that I have a concert, you know, because most of the time he can't sit, I can't guarantee that he'll sit quietly. So I have to sort of judge the um, atmosphere. I mean, I took him to something uh, that was, you know, a really community family friendly thing. And I was doing a really short portion of the program that was quite recently and, you know, brought something for him to do. Like, you know, he likes to do dot to dot. <laughs> so, you know, got brought something for him to do. And uh, so, you know, that was sort of a test thing. But, um, you know, in general, I have discovered actually since Kiana left that, you know, there've been some people who've stepped forward um, from my church who he has been able to stay overnight with. And, you know, I thought that maybe the whole medications and different things might make it a little bit uh, complicated for people, but um, he had, you know, he's very comfortable with these people. And so um, I, I found that of late, I've been traveling more than I thought. I didn't think I was going to do any traveling, um, but I have done um, some traveling. But I mean, as far as he's concerned, I mean, Malcolm doesn't have a lot of um, expressive language. He has a lot of receptive language, like he understands basically what you're saying. But um, so the challenge for me has been when his um, art, art was identified as a gift, then, you know, I sort of had to, I didn't have to try to promote him. But I mean, he can't really hold a job. And this is a gift that he has. And so I'm dabbling in, that's another one of the balls that I juggle is trying to see if there are opportunities for him. And, uh, you know, my sister was extremely helpful. Um, she designed his website. Uh, she likes to do that sort of thing. And uh, I think, you know, and it was my mom who actually started uh, with him selling things because um, he wanted to go on this trip to a European amusement park he'd seen on YouTube. And you know, I couldn't afford it. So I said, well, when you become a famous artist, then you can take all of us. So my mom uh, was visiting and she wanted to bring home some souvenirs for her friends. And so she had him do these Celtic crosses because they were all into Celtic stuff. And so that was the first thing that he 
started selling on this website of these little tiles because he'd been drawing tiles for his high school um, autistic support class or I or something anyway they would sell these things and he was drawing them and thinking well who's getting this money well maybe he should be getting some of this money too I mean I'm not that you know mm-hmm. so anyway the long and short of it is that um, I've ended up you know going to craft fairs and different things I didn't expect I was going to do I mean my sister is, uh, Patricia is really the entrepreneurial one more naturally than I am. So, um, you know, she would say, hey, is it time to come up with a Christmas campaign of some sort or, you know, so um, would end up doing, she would design things and I'm posting and all that stuff. But I mean, otherwise than that though, I mean, I will say Malcolm's incredible gift is that he just doesn't care about what people think. He, if he does, I can't tell. So, you know, he's just a very sweet, warm, loving guy. And he took Zumba because he wanted to do Zumba. And it wasn't like, okay, high school guys don't do Zumba. He's not cool. He's just Malcolm and people love that. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, he has a great sense of humor. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of expressive language, but he'll sometimes quote something from a movie he's seen that is just apropos to whatever the situation is. And it's just funny. And, um, you know, he's, he's just, you know, he's a lovely, lovely person. I mean, obviously when you say somebody perhaps doesn't have uh, the skill set to really be independent, then that creates an existential worry about my not being a vampire. So I won't live forever, (laughs) you know, that whole thing. So, um, you know, and I think at some point, you know, he's very social. He's more social, I think in some ways than I am, but, um, you know, someone asked me the other day, well, have you, is he still living with you? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, at least for a while longer. I mean, I understand that it's good for him. It will be good for him at some point, probably sooner rather than later to be in some sort of community uh, where he's, you know, not with me. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I mean, I have the worry of like, who is going to really care that he you know he likes to sing I do that with him you know he sings in the choir but I work with him with that so he does the music um who's going to run the business aspect of you know just making sure that he has the activities that he enjoys but more than that he doesn't have a lot of language and I hate to say it he's a young black man I don't know where the if these people will value him as much as as a person Um, Will they be looking out for him if someone were to abuse him and he doesn't have the language? You know, obviously I can't protect him or Kiana all the time or even myself, but um, knowing that he has this disadvantage and um, that I I just, you know, people seem to love Malcolm, but um, I'm just wary of setting him out there, you know, to, okay, well, you institution, you take good care of my son. You know, because he's a certain age, and people say that he shouldn't be with you anymore. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I, you know, what one thing that I have certainly learned from my son, um, and which it just applies to really everybody, is just that you know we're all on our own timeline, and mm-hmm. you know, and you know, whether you you know you finish college in four years, or whether you know you're living with your parents until a certain time, and that I and whether you achieve certain things in life where people normally do that, like it's just it's everybody has their own timeline, you know, and there's nothing wrong with you know <laughs> what age you're doing a you know a certain thing. It's you know it'll have I, 
I trust that it will happen eventually yeah. and it will be there and it will unfold and it will and and with that then I think for us as parents it comes there's a lot of letting go that mm -hmm. has to happen uh, especially in this um, time of their lives like right. post high school like yeah. all of that <laughs> yeah yeah teenage daughter that I'm worried about either you know like it's yeah yeah well I mean and that was the thing with you know with Kiana it's like okay you know I have to let her go in the sense of like not trying to talk her out of California it's like well yeah. this is what just with life I mean with Malcolm it's you know I see as I said that he's he is that social person and you know I mean one thing that was heartbreaking for me, you know, I saw like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, that that the musical, and you see that he's this person with, you know, a physical disability, and he has all this love in his heart that he wants to give to somebody. And, you know, I see, and I know Malcolm is interested in girls. Now, I don't know, you know, like he'll identify and, you know, he he waves to, um, he'll wave to anybody, but I notice, you know, like since he'll want to go up and, you know, talk, and he can't, doesn't really have the language. And, um, I don't know if, if being in a situation where um, there were more people, I mean, these are usually neurotypical girls, but, um, you know, that's just a concern is like, okay, on one level, I don't want to hold him back from having to do certain things that, you know, uh, figure out certain things for himself or having opportunities to, you know, just be around people more. I mean, he goes to all kinds of social activities um, that are, aimed at people with with disabilities um but yeah it's it's just sort of that balance between okay um my protective side which I talked about but also the reality that you know if I'm 85 years old I'm not going to be looking after him too much anyway yeah right no skills you know if he has no skills or hasn't had to figure out you know deal with a different situation where I'm not constantly helping him, which, you know, I, I mean, I try to balance that, but, you know, I don't know. So speaking about being on the, the timeline, I mean, I don't know if all people on the spectrum have no sense of time. I think some people are very regimented. He is not one of those people. So if I'm not prompting him to do something, then it may not happen for the next two hours. He's just, you know, not feeling it. I'm with you. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, I want, I want him to be more self-directed, more independent, but I, I haven't yet figured out a way that I don't have to have at least a little push. Otherwise it, it's just not happening. So it's a difficult, it's a difficult challenge. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that, I mean, you introduce him to all of these, you know, different social circles and finding out what he's interested in, in, in all of that. I mean, it's, um, it, you know, it's a great thing that you're doing. <laughs> Well, I don't, I feel like everybody's a, you know, he's just as human as anybody else. And and I don't understand this idea that, you know, I mean, people seem to think this is remarkable that he's done various things. Like he took voice lessons. He learned how to play a drum set. He took tap for a while and, you know, cause he, he saw his sister and he wanted to do that. He's done various things, but I'm thinking, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Like, well, I'm going to do that for another kid. I mean, you just find ways. Nobody can do everything when it comes to stress like just like life life stresses and uh, <laughs> and with the career and all of that like like what is it that you for yourself what do you what do you enjoy doing yeah. that is not music maybe um every morning I make sure that I exercise and I some of it is as I was mentioning like stretching out the old tendons and trying to make sure things are working 
Uh, so some of it was like, okay, I had to have physical therapy for that. So I guess now that's part of my exercise routine, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but I mean, I love movies, so I'd find ways to, to watch movies. I mean, um, I will, especially during the height of the pandemic, Malcolm and I would go for a walk every day, you know, I mean, it might not be a long walk, but it might be 15 minutes, but I, um, it's like, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, like just some mindless video. I mean, I do the mindless video scroll, but I, I mean, as far as for my own real health, I mean, I try to remember to, you know, do the take several deep breaths and, you know, close your eyes and take several deep breaths on occasion. If I feel like I'm really stressed out, I, um, the exercise I know is help, uh, helpful. I try to eat in general, you know, in general, a healthy diet. And um, I, I do, allow myself every once in a while you know just as I said a mindless rabbit hole of it like comedy you know you have a Hulu thing and and then it's like 22 minutes is how long the show actually is so I I keep up on those sorts of things anything that makes me laugh mm-hmm. um, is you know that's the sort of thing that I that I really enjoy so, you know I talk to to my mom and to my daughter uh, regularly but I mean I, I can't say I have a lot of free time I've been trying to make sure that um, I get together in person with a friend at least once a month. And uh, during the pandemic, obviously that was, you know, a little bit dicey, <laughs> but um, you know, whether it was on, on zoom or something like that, um, just to, just to make sure I don't, you know, completely surround myself with, okay, this is the projects and I'm going to. And it's, it's so easy to do that. I think too. Yeah, it is. It is. But then, you know, I do get feel burned out, you know, and I know that if I'm starting to feel burned out, then at first of all, you don't have anything much to give to the project, not as much to give to that project, but also, um, and life is so short, you know, and as you get to what is definitely the back half, I know like trying to live to be 114. I don't know that I've ever seen that look like something I really wanted that much, Yeah. but, um, you know, but I mean, yeah, it's just sort of, okay, what do I really? Well, and that comes to actually one of my questions is that if, if you could cherry pick what um, you could wanted to do with your career and like, cause you have so many different facets of what you're doing, you know, with, with, you know, writing, composing, playing, like what would, what would that look like if you could, you know, and, and if money was not a factor? I think I would like to write another book. I have one that I started that I didn't finish. So I would love to, to do that. And then um, as far as the compositions go, I mean, I, the, the opera about John Lewis, when that's finished, you know, um, I feel like that's a sort of topic and uh, that could really be impactful. So I think I've already been given the opportunity to have a lot of impactful, cool things on the horizon um, starting to happen. I guess, um, you know, if if things could make enough royalties that I could, you know, do more traveling just for the sake of traveling. I got a couple of days in Bermuda last year while my son was at the beach with these friends. And, um, you know, my, my mom's from Bermuda, as I mentioned, but it was just the best. Like it was only three nights and I did nothing but just be a tourist. And I stayed with my aunt and uncle, 
and they were just gracious enough to take me all over, you know, to the places I had been before and some places I hadn't been. I had dinner with my cousins and it was just a really, just a wonderful thing. So I think I would, if I could cherry pick that, it wasn't a career thing, but I, you know, I, I would like to have more um, just doing things for the sake of doing them. So I guess the career thing would be that um, I would maybe do one or two recitals a year period that's it because that preparation is hmm. that preparation is is hard but just enough to like have the, the edge and one of them would be collaborative so I would be able to interact with you know people I enjoy working with and um I would then just it'd be great to just you know whenever I, I, I it's not cherry picking what I need is longer days that <laughs> I don't even need to be 48 hours frozen in time for part of it so that no one could ask me to do anything else like everybody else is on pause and I'm just getting a few extra hours right. in a day so when that's worked out then everything is perfect so we'll just create longer days for you, you know so that's I'll for me though <laughs> I often feel that way about practice though so if we all had like a button we could push so that when you're really like maybe not practice but whatever you're really getting something done you can just hit that pause button and say look I need another hour here <laughs> yeah yeah and nobody else can bother yes. me I you all just have to wait not for another hour yeah just I could unpause it whenever yep. I wanted to just like home free that would be awesome okay yeah. I have I have one last question because we're kind of running out of time but, yes um okay. Well, and this, well, I hope this is an easy one. So what music genre do you enjoy listening to the most? Oh, what music genre? Ooh. Oh, gosh. Okay. Maybe it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, I have no easy answers for that because I'm such an eclectic yeah. musician in the sense of what I've grown up listening to. And um, I haven't, can say I, I've performed in a lot of different areas but no I have when people ask me who's your favorite composer I always deflect and say it depends on my mood and my favorite genre I deflect and say it depends on my mood um you know and so I'm, I'm sorry I can't answer that I can give you a long 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 list of people and then I'd still have to say oh wait I forgot you know okay. all right so let's <laughs> who is your favorite um pop artist uh, you're talking about someone who's current? Oh my gosh. I can't. I can't. I was yeah, a you, huge, all right. I was a I was a Prince fanatic. I also yes. love Michael Jackson. Exactly. There you go. Stevie Wonder. But I also listened to Ray Charles and my, my dad introduced me to like old jazz singers like Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald and uh Joe Williams. And then I was a big Bob Marley fan because of you know the whole Jamaican thing. So um, but there are just so many like of who maybe you haven't heard of like Kiana gave me for Christmas the best of mint condition and so I have been listening to them there uh, you know and that's like I think they were popular in the early 2000s I also you know I'm in the car and Malcolm is flipping through the dials and so you know there are um, people like I like pink a lot actually and um, I'm trying to you know, and now it will occur to me as soon as I get in the car, it's like, oh, I should have said this person or that person. Well, but I, there's a variety of people who I just admire their skills. Like Kelly Clarkson can sing anything. She's so talented. And, um, you know, I like 
this crazy new song by SZA is a great song. Um, Doja Cat had a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. too. Um, so I don't know. So I think the actual <laughs> the, the the actual correct answer was Kiana Corley. So oh god, <laughs> oh god, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, go back, ask the question again. Go on, go on. We got we're editing. Okay. Go ahead. So Maria, who is your favorite pop artist? Well, hands down has to be Kiana Corley. Oh, you know? that's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Shameless plug for my daughter. There we go. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that was a double plug. See, that was a plug for my son and my daughter. Exactly. See what I did. Two in one. <laughs> Got a twofer. That's where the album art will come from. So when she's ready, yes, 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 that's been suggested. So yes, yes, most definitely. And she can, I'm sure, get the rights without paying for royalties. So it's all good. Yeah, that works. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, Okay. I feel like we probably could have like five episodes with you. (laughs) (laughs) You're so accomplished and so talented. So thank you. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you to our listeners too. Um, we are so glad that you're out there supporting us. And if you um, ever have the chance, please give us some feedback. Uh, we love to hear from our listeners, um, especially if you have any questions or suggestions um, as to who you might enjoy an interview of, or if you would like to sponsor any of our episodes. We have lots of musicians, students of musicians, and families of musicians listening in. So you can contact us at lifebetweenthenotes at gmail.com. And actually, Maria, you have a website, which is mariacorley.com? Correct. Okay. Um, and we already plugged Kiana enough. So. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Malcolmstiles.com. That's my son's website. Okay. Malcolmstiles.com. There we go. I'm awesome. I'm making myself a little list here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and video versions can be found on our Life Between the Notes YouTube channel. So follow us at all of these places and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And with that, uh, have a great day. And thank you, Morgan and Maria. Thank you. Thanks. And now we have to do the wave. Oh. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.